Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right. We're talking about the need for control and power. You know, people really equate freedom with having a lot of control over things. You know, we think we'd rather be the boss who has control over other employees than the subordinate or the follower who's under the control of the boss. But, you know, a lot of folks in psychology reinforce the idea that control is a good thing. And research on the focus of control indicates that people with an internal locus of control, people who believe they're in control of the rewards they receive in life, are psychologically healthier and more successful than people with the external locus of control, and that's people who believe their fate is in the hands of external uncontrollable factors. Yet there is a downside, you know, to being in control when it involves trying to control other people. You know, all we can really do with other people truly is to influence them. But we like to think uh, that we want to control other people. But, the, you know, the fact that is that if you look at the DSM-5 and you look at all of the man-made diagnoses that are in there, I'm not talking about the organic ones, the ones that, not the organic, but the genetic ones. But I'm talking about the fact that these things like depression, anxiety, OCD, these are all, all the symptoms that are listed under there, all the symptoms that people experience in these types of diagnoses are the, the way people try to control things they cannot control. And so, you know, the square root of depression, for instance, somebody's trying to control something they can't control, and so they develop expectations that aren't met, and all of a sudden they fall into depression. They sleep in bed, they procrastinate, they put things off. They do all kinds of crazy stuff, but the fact is that's their way of coping with the need to control things they cannot control. And if they can't control, they begin to feel helpless. You know, and and because and, other people don't want to be controlled by you any more than you want to be controlled by other people. The fact is that most people, not most, but some people, that if you actually try to tell them uh, what to do, they will rebel. They will actually rebel and do just the opposite or do nothing because you're trying to control them. And, and in therapy, we often hear that if, if we do not like the way in which others are behaving, we're better off changing our own feelings about their behavior than trying to change their behavior. And the reason for this is that the behavioral habits are notoriously difficult to change. Even when a person really wants to change his or her own habits, if people are not interested in changing their behavior, it's almost impossible to make them change. So attempting to control another person's behavior is a type of neurosis, and it's based on childhood feelings of powerful powerlessness. And, and, and there's also different strategies of attempting to have a hold over others as control dramas. You know, attempts to hold uh, sway over others is more obvious in the two active control dramas, the interrogator and the intimidator. And the interrogator constantly questions and criticizes the behavior of other people, throwing them off balance and making them feel e uneasy. You know, these folks that do interrogation are very intimidating. And they oftentimes really create big, big problems because it's like a detective trying to find you guilty for and find the evidence from you for whatever you're doing. And people will intimidate their own spouse and, and, and excuse me, interrogate their own spouse. And that can be really, really distressing uh, for everybody. And then there's the intimidator and they use violence of threats. And, and uh, you know, to get others to comply with their wishes. And they have, uh, they're either aloof or they do the poor me. And the aloof acts distanced and detached, speaking rarely, only in vague and cryptic ways. And this strategy makes others do all the work 
in communicating and coordinating activities. And the poor me is constantly whining, which sucks the soul straight out of your body if you have to listen to somebody like that, and complains about not feeling well. And so this strategy is meant to make others feel guilty about asking the poor me to do anything, forcing them to take care of everything, including the poor me. And so the ways in which people attempt to control others is not limited to neurotic control dramas. Many of the ways in which people strive to regulate each other's behavior are regarded as perfectly normal and not all neurotic. Um, you know, for example, people use flattery and do nice things for others, expecting that they'll return the favor. And, and so most of us hold standards of what we regard as appropriate behavior. And we try to change people who do not follow these standards. So people will use negative labels such as lazy or foolish or wrong in attempts to persuade people to change behavior they do not like. And often they claim they're trying to change others for their own good. A truly free person is immune to both the neurotic and the normal attempts of others to regulate their behavior. And the advice is accomplishing this is to make the following agreement with ourselves. Do not take anything personally. When we agree not to take anything personally, we regard all attempts by others to control us as statements about the other person, not us. By refusing to take threats and criticism and evasion and complaints and praise and disapproval personally, we act upon our own reality and not other people's. And, you know, the truly free person does not attempt to control other people. They try to control others even when, uh, even people who in our eyes are misbehaving is like trying to make a, a water run uphill. Unless you can convince a person that listening to you is in their own best self-interest, you are wasting a lot of time, which is antithetical to freedom. You know, you know. It's, it's really, there's a lot to be said for giving up control sometimes, letting go, letting God, as they say in a recovery movement. You know, I know this flies in the face of research on the merits of internal locus of control, self-efficacy, and similar research. Nonetheless, it seems to me that such an attitude has a strong basis in reality. We are much more likely to achieve success and happiness if we allow ourselves to align with greater forces than to fight the flow and deny reality. You know, having power over others, having choices of your own, share a critical foundation and control. You know, there's even a new study in, in, in psychological science, a journal of uh, Association for Psychological Science is what it is. The paper finds that people are willing to trade one source of control for the other. For example, if people lack power, they clamor for choice. And if they have an abundance of choice, they don't strive as much for power. So people instinctively prefer high to low positions, you know, power positions. And similarly, it feels good when you have a choice. And it doesn't feel good when choice is taken away. And so we have to think about that. As people, power is control over what other people do. Choice is control of your own outcomes. And, and so to find out if power or choice are two sides of the same coin, there's a lot of research in looking at that. And, and, and you know, one can trigger the greater need for the other. For instance, you know, in, a, in a one experiment, uh, participants started out by reading a description of a boss or an employee and had them think about how they would feel in that role. And that meant some people were made to feel powerful and some were made to feel powerless. Then the participants were told they could buy eyeglasses or ice cream from a store, you know. And, and, and these three options, you know, a store has a lot of options. So people are willing to go through great lengths uh, to access the store with more options. Lacking power made people thirsty for choice. That's why I say, you know, it, when kids are moving into their teenage years, you do not want to give them what they have to do. You want to give them options. And so that, you know, is a really important aspect. And, and when people of, of are de deprived of choice, they display a thirst for power. You know, if they 
express a greater desire to occupy a higher power position, you know, people can be content with either power or choice or both by having neither makes them distinctly dissatisfied. The power and the choice are interchangeable and can be useful in the workplace. You know, you can imagine uh, a person at an organization who's in a low-level job. You can make that seemingly powerless position feel better about their job and their duties by giving them some choice. And in the way they do their work and what project they work on, and the fundamental and basic importance of control in people's lives. And so true power requires modesty and empathy, not force and coercion. But what people want from leaders is social intelligence. And that is what is damaged by the experience of power. Um, because power can be very immature and, and it can be wielded in a really pathetic way. So it's much safer to be feared than loved. Some people believe, you know, and, and that's actually stated in uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. Um, and which is a 16th century uh, advocating manipulation and occasionally cruelty at best to get power. But now, as we look at it, uh, in these days, with a much more intelligent idea, you know, uh, beside, you know, the, the idea is that we conceal uh, our intentions. We court attention at all costs. We use selective honesty and generosity to, to disarm the victims. This is, once again, Machiavelli, which is 16th century. We crush our enemy and we keep others ascended by terror. And that's how people felt safe back then. But, you know, we tend to believe that attaining power requires force, deception, manipulation, and coercion. And we might even assume that positions of power demand this kind of conduct. You know, that to run smoothly, society needs leaders who are willing and able to use power. You know, that's that may be seductive in some ways. But, you know, the really, if you want to be effective with power in this day and age... You have to be attuned to people. You have to be engaged with the needs and interests of other people. You know, the, the empathy and social intelligence are vastly more important to acquiring and exercising power than forced deception and terror. You know, th there's a long-standing myth about what constitutes true power, how people obtain it, how they should use it. But studies show that, that once people assume positions of power, they're likely to act more selfishly. And that is not a good thing. You know, they, they also act impulsively, aggressively, and they have a harder time seeing the world from other people's point of view. And this presents us with a paradox. The skills most important to obtaining power and leading effectively are the very skills that deteriorate once we have power. So we have to be very vigilant against the corrupt influences of power and its ability to distort the way we see ourselves and we treat others. And as we see that, it just in a great and intense uh, example of that is our presidency in the United States and how power is being wielded and how power has been wielded by various presidents. And, and you know, it's amazing that we have to think in terms of integrity. We have to think in terms of empathy for other people, compassion for the people who are subject to those people who are actually in power. You know, and there's another myth that power equals cash, votes, muscle. You know, the term power often evokes images of force and coercion. Many people assume that power is most evident uh, in the Congress or in corporate boardrooms, or, or, you know, treatments of power in social sciences have followed suit, zeroing on clashes over cash, votes, and uh, muscle, military might, you know, and, and there's an innumerable exceptions to the definition of power, you know, uh, a penniless two-year-old pleading for candy at the checkout line in the grocery store, one spouse manipulating the other for sex, the success of nonviolent political movements in places like India or South Africa, the, the, the viewing power as cash, as votes, and muscle blinds us on the ways that power pervades our daily lives.
So there's a lot of research that has redefined power, and, and the definition makes clear just how prevalent and integral power is in all of our lives. You know, the psychological science, power is defined as one's capacity to alter another person's condition or state of mind by providing or withholding resources such as food or money or knowledge, affection, or administering punishments like physical harm, job termination, social ostracism. And, and this definition de-emphasizes how a person actually acts instead of stresses the individual's capacity to affect others. You know, more importantly, the definition applies across relationships and contexts and cultures. It helps us understand how children can will power over their parents from the time they're born or how someone like a, let's you could be like a whatever a religious leader you know can be powerful in the context of uh, of telling people the way there is to god you know by the definition one could be powerful without needing to try to control or coerce or dominate so some people resort to trying to control others it's often a sign that their power is actually slipping all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little more about power, and then we're going to move on into how power and control affect our lives. So come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. You know, power is not something we should or can avoid, nor, you know, it's, it's not something that necessarily involves domination and submission. We are negotiating power every waking instance of our social lives. And even in our dreams, by the way, and that was a Freudian uh, ideology there. And, and when we seek equality, we're seeking an effective balance of power, not the absence of power. And we use it to win consent and social cohesion, not just compliance. To be human is to be immersed in power dynamics. Most all, if not all, of our social interaction has to do with this, the, the balance of power. And the needing the balance of power. You know, one of the consist, uh, c- uh, central questions concerning power is who gets it? You know, researchers have confronted the question for years. And their results offer a lot of rebuke to the Machiavellian uh, view of power. It's not the manipulative, strategic Machiavellian who rises to power and then uses it to dominate people. Instead, Social science reveals that one's ability to get or maintain power, even a small group situations, depends on one's ability to understand and advance the goals of other group members. 
and influence them. And when it comes to power, social intelligence, like reconciling conflicts, negotiating, smoothing over group tensions, prevails over Darwinism. And for instance, highly detailed studies of chimpanzee politics have found that social power among non-human primates is based less on sheer strength, coercion, the unbridled assertion of self-interest, but more on the ability to negotiate conflicts, to enforce group norms, to allocate resources fairly. And more often than not, the research shows that primates who try to wield power by dominating others, prioritizing their own interests, will find themselves challenged and in time disposed by subordinates. You know, it's amazing, but if you look at, at, at so, social hierarchies, it, it is more dynamic and playful, engaging members of the group who quickly garner and maintain respect of their peers. Those outgoing, energetic, socially engaged people quickly rise through the ranks and emerge into hierarchies. You know, what if, you know, looking at social intelligence, because of our ultra sociability, which is what we all do. We accomplish most tasks related to survival and reproduction socially, from caring for our kids to providing food and shelter. We give power to those who can best serve the interests of the group. And time and time again, if you look at studies, they find that leaders who treat their subordinates with respect, share power, generate a sense of commodity, trust, are considered more just and more fair. And so social intelligence is essentially not to rise to power, but keeping it. And that is important for all of us to understand. You know, cooperation and modesty aren't just ethical ways to power. They don't just serve the interests of the group. They're also valuable skills for people who seek positions of power and want to hold them. And also, you know, a major reason why Machiavellian uh, uh, power fails is that they fall victim to the to a myth. They mistakenly believe that power is acquired strategically in deceptive gamemanship and pitting others against one another. Well, guess what? That's what we're seeing in politics today. Isn't that amazing? That is how our politics are Machiavellian and they are due to fall because they're pitting one person and all, all kinds of different groups against each other. You know, they fail to appreciate an important fact in the evolution of human beings that with increasing social intelligence, subordinates can form powerful alliances, constrain the actions of those in power. Power increasingly has come to rest in the actions and judgments of other group members. And so the pow person's power is only strong as a status given to that person by other people. You know, and, 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 and the manner in which we afford power to others uh, by uh, uh, formal prose or indirectness or, mod you know, modest nonverbal displays of embarrassment, we can give power to others simply by being respectfully polite. And so we have to be careful with that because that is exactly what society today is doing. They're being respectfully polite. Well, no, because underneath it is a deep, deep, deep rage and feeling disrespected. Uh, today, in this world, in this country, in the United States, we are being treated as stupid people, cattle, sheep that need to be guided. And it's sad, but that's how we are treated by the government in which we fund with our tax money. We are treated as if we are cattle and sheep, and we all need to do the right thing. It's sad. But, you know... Machiavelli said once, any man who tries to be good all the time is bound to become ruin among great number who are not good. Hence, a prince who wants to keep their authority must learn not to be good but and, and, and use that knowledge or refrain from it as necessarily requires. That means you're either good or not good, but the, the bottom line is you're not honest. You know, in this world, in this day, in this life, one of the main values that we all have to have is integrity. And that's that we do what we're supposed to do and what is right, even when no one is looking. 
And sadly, if people don't manage that, they end up to have a very unattractive life. They tend to find themselves, even though they may have felt they did good, they are likely going to find themselves alone. And so it's important to understand that if you manage your integrity, you are managing to make your life magnetic to other people. You know, uh, there also power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, unfortunately, this is not entirely a myth. And, and, uh, you know, if you look at at so many monarchs and so many leaders who have fallen, it's, it's the fact that they use their power and they use corruption as a way to get what they want. And studies have found that people given power and experiments are more likely to rely on stereotypes when they judge other people. And they pay less attention to the characteristics that define those other people as individuals. And they're uh, predisposed to stereotype. And they judge others' attitudes and interests and needs less accurately. And this was the downfall, once again, uh, if we look at it, this was the actual downfall of Donald Trump, is, uh, is what he did, was use his power to basically define and stereotype people. And so that was taken by many people, despite his policies, that was taken as heinous and something that should never be done. And quite frankly, that is why people these days, especially people of intelligence, are not willing to put up with that kind of behavior. Um, And so power even prompts less complex legal reasoning in the Supreme Court justices. You know, if there were uh, there was a study by a psychologist at Stanford, uh, Deborah Gruenfeld, that compared the decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court justices, even when they wrote opinions endorsing either the position of majority justices on the bench, which is a position of power, or the position of the vanquished, which is a less powerful minority. And sure enough, Gruenfeld analyzed the complexity of justices' opinions in a vast amount of cases. And, and she found that justices writing from position of power crafted less complex arguments than those writing from a lower position. And the great deal of research also has found that power encourages individuals to act on their own whims, desires, impulses. And when researchers give people power in scientific experiments, those people are more likely to physically touch others in potentially inappropriate ways. Mario Cuomo. Uh, to flirt with more direct fashion, to make risky choices, gambles, to make first offers in negotiations, to speak their mind, to eat cookies like the cookie monster, and crumbs all over the chin and chest. It, they're just obviously heinous. And perhaps more unsettling is the, hel- the wealth of evidence of having power makes people more likely to act like sociopaths. Higher power individuals are more likely to interrupt others, to speak out of turn, to fail to look at others who are speaking. They're also more likely to tease friends and colleagues in hostile, humiliating fashion. And surveys of organizations find that most rude behaviors like shouting profanities, uh, uh, critics, uh, emanate from the offices and cubicles of individuals in positions of power. And, and people in power tend to have behave like patients who have damaged their brains, uh, frontal lobes, you know, and, and, and a condition that seems to cause overly impulsive and insensitive behavior. And the experience of power might be thought of as having someone up, up in your head take out that part of your brain, which is called critical thinking, and just allow you to do what you impulsively and emotionally think is right. And so that leaves us with a real paradox. Power is given to those people, those groups, those nations who advance the interests of greater good in socially intelligent fashion. Yet unfortunately, having power rindles many people as impulsive and poorly attuned to others, you know, and and, and makes them prone to act abusively and lose the esteem of their peers. And what people want from leaders is social intelligence. And that is what's damaged by the experience of power. When we re- recognize the paradox and all the destructive behaviors that flow from it, we can appreciate the importance of promoting a more socially intelligent model of power. 
social behaviors are directed by social expectations. And as we debunk longstanding myths and misconceptions about power, we can better identify the qualities of powerful people that should have and, and better understand how they should wield their power. And then we'd have a lot less tolerance for people who lead by deception and coercion, undue force. No longer will we expect these kinds of antisocial behaviors from our leader and silently accept them when they come to pass. But that is what is happening today is we silently accept what these crazy people in leadership give us. You know, many... Uh, so if, if you want to picture the schoolyard bully, when we think of controlling a person, we might imagine someone who is aggressively commands others to do what they want. But there are many more subtle signs of a person who's a bully, a person who wants power. You, not, you may not be aware of it, but this kind of behavior isn't only limited to romantic relationships, but controlling people who show up in all areas of life, like coworkers and bosses and friends and family, even strangers. If you end up feeling small, embarrassed, humiliated, whenever you come in contact with them, it may be time to step back and reevaluate that person's role in your life. You know, if they make you feel like everything's your fault, gaslighting. If they if they blamed you for minor things you've done nothing nothing to do with, if something goes wrong, if they take the role of the victim and make you believe you're responsible for things beyond your control, that's going to be a crazy maker. You might hear it's all your fault or you shouldn't have done this and, and, and come up in a conversation and then they criticize you all the time. If that's happening, you're dealing with somebody who doesn't understand how to use power and a person who is seeking power. You know, a controlling person will attempt to undermine your confidence by making jabs at you in private or public, behind your back, you know, and they may exaggerate your flaws at work or point out uh, typos. Uh, they may never acknowledge when you do something right. They may become irrationally angry if you don't answer your phone, if they make mean jokes about you in front of others, or if they criticize the way you dress or the way you speak. You know, they don't want you to see that you are loved and demanding your attention constantly by gradually isolating you from friends and family is a method of control. And they'll try to keep you all to themselves by complaining about how often you hang out with certain friends and family members. There's a problem there, you know, but it's not always this obvious. They may just glare at you when you're on the phone with loved ones or groan when you when spend time with family or friends. You know, they always, some of these fo folks expect something in return and they make you feel guilty if you don't uh, do what they want. They, like they keep tabs on every little favor. They, if, you, if they paid for your dinner one night and let you uh, crash at their place, for example, they'll bring it up repeatedly. They might also go out of their way to appear overly generous as a way to keep you in debt to them. You know, so these kind of people, you really got to be careful with because they do not understand how to use power and control in their life. And, and they may gaslight you but they, by underplaying your experience, by lying or accusing you of being overly sensitive. So if you're upset about something they told you last week, they'll deny ever having said it. And it's all in your mind. And you started second-guessing yourself all the time. Say you suspect a close friend of, of spreading false rumors about you. In response, you'll say you're, you're imagining things or blaming someone despite any evidence you might have. You know, And also, people that use control and power in the wrong way, they, they, uh, if you had a big win, let's say, in your life or in your job, a controlling person might immediately change the subject and sulk about something that upset them that day to regain your attention. They may also sabotage your relationships with other people as a way to have a leg up on you. For example, they might take screenshots of your private text without permission and send them to other people. You know, sometimes they try to intimidate people that, that use control in the wrong way. You know, someone exerting their excessive control may constantly act superior and, and try to undermine your reputation. You know, and, and this can look like uh, someone's interrupting you. They want to state their own opinion uh, and make you look bad. So that, you know, they may also make veiled threats and jokes. 
you know, it's just amazing how people abuse their sense of power and try to gain power. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about signs of control and power and people that misuse it so that we can read people properly in our life and know how to relate to healthy people. So come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the need for power of control and power. You know, there's a lot of people that abuse the idea of trying to get power or control. Um, I've been talking about some signs that someone is that way. You know, some of these people show drastic mood changes. One moment they're buying you gifts and lavishing you with praise. The next, they're acting like a bully. So you end up feeling like you're walking on eggshells and never know where you stand. They also won't take responsibility or say sorry when they've upset you. You know, a controlling person often won't accept healthy boundaries. And when they'll try to persuade or pressure you into changing your mind. And they've also, you know, if if you've said you can't meet up this weekend, they'll show up uninvited or they'll refuse to let you leave a party even after saying you feel sick. Also, they always want your undivided attention and become upset when you make plans. That's another sign that a person has a problem with control. They speak badly or make negative comments about you or your friends, or they interrogate you about where you go or who you see, and they pout, and they plan to go out with someone new or do something that you won't agree with. You know, They'll try to mold you to suit their own interests by pressuring you to make changes in your appearance or the way you are, and they may throw out your favorite uh, clothes when you're at work or refuse to leave the house unless you're dressed in a certain way. You know, this this other uh, there's other abusive behavior that people with control try to influence you in ways or control you, uh, and you need to know that these people are absolutely toxic. Like if you find yourself relating uh, uh, to to some of the stuff I'm talking about, take a moment to be honest with yourself about the situation. Assess whether these controlling patterns have become abusive. You know, you want to ask yourself if the person is controlling your freedom or your autonomy. You know, do you feel trapped or dominated or fearful all the time? Are you concerned for your safety? You know, all these are clear red flags that behavior has turned to coercive control, power, and dominance. 
and it's a form of domestic violence. So, you know, feeling free to be yourself is one of the most important aspects of your identity and your self-worth. And no romantic relationship, friendship, or working relationship should make you feel small or unsafe. You know, no matter what they've told you, none of this is your fault, and you deserve a better way to live your life. You know, the fact is, is that we need to be really honest with ourselves. You know, your mission is to have a healthier life. And, and to try to force yourself out of bed in the morning to, to the gym, get the urge to savor your, your covers, wins instead. That means that we are not as well self-disciplined as we need to be. We all face moments in life where you know high or low self-control uh, uh, comes into focus. But you know it's a really important to understand that we all need self-control in our lives if we are to dispense or to receive power and control. You know, self-control reserves an executive function necessary for, for, for us to meet goals and for us to have a successful life. And it's also a success in our occupations, in our education, in our sense of being parents, in our sense of family. You know, good mental and physical health it gives us a reduction even in crime, uh, which is amazing. You know, longer lifespans are linked to self-control. And so we all need to think in terms of behavioral decisions that are implicitly categorized. You know, we, we, we need to understand that our physical and social environment decisions are theorized to be made first uh, for lower level decisions and to lead to more abstract goals. That means we focus on process rather than outcome. We invest in process. And if you're going to control which or try to have power control, then what your whole idea is to influence, to influence as much as you can, not to control, to influence others by your own ethics, your own behavior, your own decisions. You know, if you make moral and ethical decisions that are considered uh, more abstract or higher level, it requires self-control. And those decisions are integrated within the intricate maze of our minds. You know, and, and we really need to understand also, you know, in looking at moral and ethics and those kind of things, that's what people really feel safe with. That's what people really respect. And so we, as people, need to value our own self-control when we are trying to exert power and control. And what we really need to replace power and control with, once again, is the idea of how to influence others. You know, and and there's a lot of theories, a lot of research on self-control, on morality, on human strength. And when we know more about how the self can alter its own state and achieve adaptive success, we flourish. That means we invest in having faith and process and outcomes that we hope are good and clearly define what we'd like the outcomes to look like so that all who have to uh, work the process to get to the outcome will invest in it by having a vision of what the outcome will bring. You know, self-control is, is a, even a theory and has become more than uh, effortful in, in the inhibition of impulses. And unfortunately, people who live with impulses are making emotional decisions rather than logical decisions. And so it's important to understand that people have emotional attachments to almost every single thing that they speak of and and, and, and every single thing they think about. And you really can't have a, a logic-to-logic discussion with people until you move through the emotional attachment to what's being talked about. That means you validate, even if you disagree, you validate other people's emotional attachment. You validate how much energy they're placing into a topic. You validate them as people and having that emotion. And then eventually, as the emotion wanes, you move down to logic to logic where you both start to hear each other. And so a deeper understanding of avoidance 
and, and and other things like that, people who avoid conflict don't understand how to communicate with other people. In conflict, especially if you want to influence, you have to match emotion with compassion, emotion with compassion to get to logic to logic. You know, people find the benefits of self-control are plentiful and essential. You know, effective self-control, did you hear the word control? Self-control. That is what you can control, yourself. And that's what we need to control, is ourselves. And if we want to be successful in our life, we have to have self-control. That means we do not make emotional decisions. Yes, we have emotions. Yes, we acknowledge our emotions. Yes, we know that we have to deal with emotions. And we don't be afraid. We're not afraid of emotions. But we eventually need to get to logic to logic before decisions are made. You know, there's a lot of theories and research of self-control, morality, human strength. It, it's, it's really interesting. But self-control calls for us to have what's called a will. I will. A will is your essence. It's in your soul. It's where you get your gas. And a will is how people do hard things. I will get this done. Nietzsche called it the will to power. Very important concept. If we're going to live a fruitful life, an experiential life, a life that is faith-based and not afraid to make leaps of faith, we have to have a will. And that is the determination. Especially if you're going to be married. You need to have, if you want to be married, you need to have the will to be married. You have to say, I will be married. It's not, I'll try to be married. That's an important thing that people do not understand. Unfortunately, they just try. They try and try and try, which is a, is a, is a, a really half-hearted way of, of doing something. Try is one of the worst words in the world. But if we have the will, and I will be married, that means we're going to compromise. We're going to be hum- humble. We're going to be human. We're going to allow ourselves to share our life with another person, and we're going to le- learn how to adapt and to compromise. Very important concept. That is a sense of control because you're vested, and you're in it, and you're decided. And now you're going to make the best of it rather than pick your partner apart. And so people that pick life apart are deeply insecure. People who seek control and manipulate with control and power are very insecure and are very, very destructive and toxic people. We as people need to be mature enough to hear other people's perceptions, seek wisdom of other people, and not believe that we have the answer to everything. Unfortunately, Out here in society, in the broader world, there's a lot of people who abuse their sense of power and their sense of control. You know, another key element of of being a a person who has self-control is the ability to be cautious. You know, the the strength of prudence can be utilized to improve self-control, teaching children how to think rather than merely react. You know, that's where character strength can be nurtured. And with practice, better decisions can be made. Another thing is deferring gratification. By utilizing the character of strengths of savoring and self-regulation, self-control can be managed. And teaching children how to appreciate and effectively distract themselves from gratification is a skill that will serve them. So adults who have not learned these strengths and how to harness them can also benefit from practice. But the bottom line is is that people that don't respect these elements of self-control find themselves seeking power, seeking control, just for the element of having it, rather than how to help influence people in a positive way. You know, another key element to self-control is cognitive ability, taking the time to explore options before being impulsive on decision-making. You know, uh, the character strengths of curiosity, love of learning, are areas of growth and building control and patience and character. You know, it's self-control is the ability to see alternative perspectives effectively. That doesn't mean we agree with everyone else's perspective, but we're always seeking intelligence. We're always seeking wisdom that is beyond our own. And, and that 
builds us as people. And that helps us regulate power in a more respectful way by respecting the fact that other people are impacted by our choices and other people are impacted by the way we conduct ourselves. And we need to give ourselves a lot of a sense of compassion and empathy as a part of our character. You know, there's a lot of things that policies such as an education that self-control has also helped. And, you know, addiction treatment, criminology. You know, vast amounts of research have supported the notion that improvement in self-control improves us as human beings. And that's what we all have to go for. That's what we all need. You know, ego, ego depletion plays an essential role in the successful development of self-control. People do not have unlimited capacity to test themselves in the face of instant gratification. You know, that's taxing. And and that depletion throughout one's day, their self-control, it becomes weakened. So someone who can effectively multitask across goal domains creates a, a real good framework that allows for new associations to undesirable temptations. With practice, people can reassociate temptations that are first considered desirable into negative cues. And so, you know, behavior requires choice and allowing for growth in the connection between the higher level uh, and the goal achieved and the choice to immediate decision-making needs is where self-control behavior improves. So slowing reactions, allowing self-reflection before decisions are made gives room for strengths and, and to build. All right. I'm going on and on about power and control. It's a good thing that we have the idea of having power and control, but once again, it's a better idea to get influence. All right. That's our show. I'd like to thank you for listening. You know, I love hearing from you. You can do that by our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, all kids should thank their dad for not putting, uh, not pulling out during sex. <laughs> also, birth control, effectiveness, condoms, 99%, the pill, 95.3, the mouth. 100%. Also, you know there's a problem when someone announces the beatings will continue till mor- morale improves. Also, when men wear the pants in most relationships when women control the zippers. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 